Please remain standing as you're able for the gospel from John. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Do you think God holds a grudge? I think Peter would say no, for Peter had denied Jesus three times before Jesus' crucifixion. And then here, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter and gives him three opportunities to affirm his uh, love for Christ. But if you ask the Amalekites in the Old Testament, you might get a different answer. Because in the 16th chapter of Exodus, God says, I will blot out the Malachites to where no one will remember them on the face of the earth. Now, what explains the difference between Peter and the Amalekites? I suppose one obvious explanation might be, well, God likes Peter and God doesn't like the Amalekites. But I'm hoping God is at a higher stage of development than I am. So I'm thinking that might not be it. Maybe there's another one. Maybe... You know, God loved Peter because in the New Testament, God is nice. And God doesn't uh, care for the Malachites because in the Old Testament, God isn't as nice. But I think we know better than that. Now, a closer examination of these two situations of Peter and the Malachites reveals they actually have something very much in common. You see, the story of, that uh, Debbie told, uh, when you take out all the asides, was basically this. Jesus was encouraging Peter to take care of folks, to show them care and concern. Feed my sheep. And the Amalekites, well, the situation with the Amalekites was this. When the Israelites escaped during the exodus from Egypt, there were people who were stragglers. They were the infirm, the, the old, older ones, the ones, young ones who were still nursing their children, those who were unable to keep up. They were lagging behind, and the Amalekites, rather than show concern for them, swooped down upon them, killed a number of them, and took others of them into slavery. They showed no care. They showed no concern for these people who were in need. And I believe that's the basic difference. The Scriptures are pretty clear clear that God is concerned about the weaker members of the community. We see that concern not only in Peter in the command to feed the sheep, But we see that concern all the way through the Old Testament where in Deuteronomy 15 they're told, uh, don't oppress those who are poor. Don't take advantage of them. Don't try to enslave your people because they come to you needing money. Remember in Deuteronomy 15, 15, God says, remember you were once oppressed like that. Don't do that to other people. Take care of them. And certainly Paul followed this example himself in the passage that Brenda read to us a little while ago. Paul says this, remember my example with you, how I always took care of the weak. There were a lot who didn't follow that example. People of Israel are what we call the northern tribes of Israel. In the days where the Assyrians ruled the world, did not take care of the poor and needy in their midst. And so finally in the fifth chapter of Amos, God says to the prophet Amos, That's enough. 
I'm tired of you bullying people who are in need. I'm tired of you trampling on the poor. I'm going to let justice roll down like a mighty stream. And basically God says, you're going to get washed away because you didn't care for people in need. There was another bad example that came from the 12 tribes of Israel. I'd never known this, but I learned this, that the rabbis commented that the 12 tribes, each of the 12 usually had a different job. And the job of the tribe of Judah was to go out front, to be a leader. And so it's not surprising that our Lord Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. He's a leader. He's out front. He is going to give himself for us, and he goes first. But there was another tribe, Dan, and the job of the tribe of Dan was to protect the rear, to make sure that nobody got left behind. Well, Dan didn't do their job. And so women and children and aged and sick were swept down upon and swept away by the Amalekites. It's interesting to me that I didn't know the Jews believed in an Antichrist, but they do. And the rabbis taught that the Antichrist wouldn't come from some other culture. The Antichrist who opposed God would actually come from the Jewish people. And unanimously they said that this Antichrist would come from the tribe of Dan because the tribe of Dan never does what they're supposed to do. And we see a prime example that they didn't care for the weak and the needy among them. It's led me to realize that when you read the scriptures, that the way God measures a community is different than the way we measure community. When God is measuring the strength of our community, God will not ask how many people are in the pews. God will not ask how much money was in the offering plate. God will not ask how nice were the buildings and how, and how long did they stand. God will say what happened to the weaker members of the community. What happened to the weak? The measure of this community as the measure for any community will be how do we take care of the weak. Dietrich Bonhoeffer realized this as he watched Nazi Germany uh, continue to dispose and discard people who were seen as not as pure or strong as others. They were regarded as weak. And Bonhoeffer made this observation in the 1930s. He said this, that the elimination of the weak will be the destruction of the community. That communities who try to get rid of the weak or pay no attention to the weak will not last as communities very long. Some years before that, the great reformer Dorothy Day said this. Dorothy Day said, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Don't talk to me about your faith, God might say. Show me your concern for the weak and the needy among you. Well, that raises, for my mind, at least two, two pretty clear questions. First of all, who are the weak? Well, biblically, let, let me run down three categories that I think biblically we can see. These folks would generally be considered the weak who are to be cared for. And the first would be, it's clear that the aged and infirm are considered among the weak. And so, uh, and that's in other societies of that day, once you could no longer contribute to the family business, once you could no longer contribute to the tribe's gross national product or whatever, they were done with you. You were through. Your value as a person had diminished. And God sought to protect these people. And so God instituted one of the Ten Commandments is geared toward caring for people in their latter days. And the, the commandment you already know, it's the fifth one. Honor your father and your mother. 
so often when we use it, we, especially as parents who have like three kids like I do, use it to tell our kids, now you have to do what we say. And I suppose that's not a bad use of the fifth commandment. But the, it's more like this, as the Beatles ask the question, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? That's what the fifth commandment's about. When I no longer contribute in a way you can measure, will you care about me? Society's answer was no. And the Jews' answer was always yes. So that's where it starts. It's interesting to me that often we talk about the location, leaders talk about the location of this church, and, and it's such a prime location located uh, at 410 and 281 and, when, and where they come together. But how often do we talk about that our prime location is where the uh, Brighton Gardens and the Forum come together? How often do we talk about our opportunity to care in that way? Another category of the weaker members were the children. The children were considered weaker members. Uh, Jesus, you'll recall, had a special place for children, uh, blessed them and, and encouraged them and even said that the kingdom of heaven belonged to them. That was not society in general's opinion about children. They were only valuable and valued as they could contribute to what would help society or help the rulers of society. And so one of the things that we've learned, uh, recent work by scholars and archaeologists in Ephesus, is typical of the ancient world, as, as extreme as it may seem. Ephesus was the major city in the Roman Empire, probably in many ways more major than Rome itself, located right there on the Aegean with major uh, roads that lead uh, east and then uh, seas where people could go west. But Ephesus, archaeologists have found, had a city, and pardon the expression, dump outside the city. And what happened is two to five hundred living babies were taken there every day, according to some scholars. Unwanted children cast aside and placed in a large pile with other unwanted children. It was so prevalent a practice that it's not surprising that we have found a book written in Ephesus in the day by a local physician. And the book basically is entitled, How to Go Out to That Dump and Find a Child Who Will Make a Good Slave. They were not valued. They were just dispensed with. They didn't contribute to the economy. They, didn't, they weren't convenient. And so they were disposed of. That wasn't the way Jews and Christians treated the issue. I love what uh, one woman uh, said one time. She was living in, on a farm in rural Oklahoma. And one day, alone by herself in the day, a robber came, pointed a gun at her and said, I want you to give me all your valuables. And her response was, you can have anything in this house. But I want to tell you my two most valuable possessions are seven miles down the road attending junior school. And I think we would all give assent to that. That certainly the children are most valuable of our possessions. But do our lives with them really reflect that? And then finally, the last category of the weak in the Bible is also pretty clear, though it has two different meanings, and that would be the term the poor. The Bible's very concerned about the poor. And there are many instructions in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about not only not taking advantage of the poor, but actually trying to help the poor and help them provide for themselves. We'll talk about some of those uh, next week. So poor certainly meant in the Bible that you were at economic disadvantage. But that's not all that it meant. The term also meant... Anyone who was struggling mightily in their life at the moment, 
Could have been a physical problem. Could have been an emotional problem. Could have been a relational problem. Could be any sort of problem. And you were considered also to be poor. And they understood that most of us have some patch in life where we become poor. Now, Jesus got both of these meanings in the Sermon on the Mount and referred to them. He talked about the economic poor in Luke when he says, blessed are the poor. And then he talked about the other people who are struggling in life in Matthew when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Spirit, both kinds of poor. Those struggling because of economic hardships and those struggling because of other difficulties in their life. And they were considered part of the weak. Those uh, about whom we are supposed to be caring. Well, this raises for me the second question then. If that's who the weak are among us biblically, those who are aged and infirm in ways that they can no longer uh, provide uh, for the community or for the children or for those who are struggling or poor, the next question is, okay, well, who is our community? Where is our community? And this gets very interesting to me. The big theological debate of the day was not whether the Bible was inerrant. They had no questions about, about uh, uh, the power and authority of Scripture. The big question of the day wasn't whether uh, you, could, you could have um, uh, certain theological uh, doctrines about uh, grace or about predestination. They never argued about whether someone could practice a lifestyle that would make them ineligible to be a pastor. That wasn't their debate. This was their debate. What is the second greatest commandment? That literally divided families and communities over the issue. The first, everybody knew, the first was love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. But what's number two? What's number two? And there was a school under a very strict and and brilliant man, a great rabbi, Shammai, that said, number two is don't have these other gods, don't have idols. And then keep the Sabbath day holy. And then he went down a list, and number 13 on his list was, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added on. Well, there was another school by a very brilliant rabbi. His name was Hillel, and most of the Pharisees followed him. And he said number two was, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.5. So here's what happens. They come to Jesus, and they say, well, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus gives them the answer everybody knew. And then he says, and by the way, number two is, Right up there with it, says Jesus, is love your neighbor as yourself. It just blew up a whole side of the argument and raised the love of other people right up there with our love of God. But Jesus wasn't finished. Lest the Pharisees and the people who follow Hillel be too proud of themselves and how they were doing, then Jesus went ahead and defined community and neighbor for them. And the way he defined it, you'll recall, he told a story where the neighbor was actually the Samaritan. And friends, I can't tell you how much the Jews of Jesus' day hated the Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds. They considered them apostates. They considered them heretics. They were the people who were farthest from them, not geographically, but culturally and religiously. And Jesus says, that's your community. Then I began to understand the answer to the first question, who are the weak? is important, but the answer to the second question is just as vital, and that is, and who is our community? And what I learned is this, that our community is not just our own aged and infirm, that our community is not just our own children with their needs in this church, and that our community is not just the poor and people who are struggling in their life in this church. 
But Jesus has expanded it to anyone who is in need. Care for the weak. Clear biblical mandate. And just as clear from Jesus are the weak anybody that you know of who is in that sort of need. A lot has been written and said recently about Mother Teresa and some of the doubts she had. But I want to tell you about one thing that Mother Teresa never doubted. When she talks about the story of her life, she said this, I determined early in my life that I would never say no to Jesus. I would never say no to Jesus. Whatever he asked me to do, the answer would never be no. And look at the track that her life took. Friends, I just want to tell you, in the days and weeks ahead, you're going to have at least three major opportunities not to say no to Jesus. You're going to have three great opportunities to say yes. Here's where it starts. First opportunity uh, comes in about four weeks. We're due our annual stewardship, our annual financial campaign. And on December 16th, it'll wrap up. But you need to know this. There is a fair amount of generosity in this church. And for that, I'm grateful. God is grateful. But I want to tell you, it is in no way commensurate with the needs of this world and our community. It just, it, we just don't come close. This past week, there were opportunities that, that came across uh, my even uh, knowing, and not everything gets to my desk. And one would have been active in a part of the country, where, um, excuse, part of the world, where children die every 20 to 30 seconds. And we had an opportunity to, to move out in that area. But I didn't have the outreach committee. We didn't have the funds. Another opportunity came this week, an opportunity to advance the church to be in South America on a side of town where there is great need and where people need to hear the gospel and be experienced. And we could have helped them move ahead this week. We just just didn't have it. But we do have it. It just needs to come forward. That's one opportunity to care for the weak. Here's another one. Close of the service this morning, you're going to see a group of people who volunteer to give themselves and minister to people during that poor in spirit phase in their life. And they're called Stephen Ministers, and they start a new round of training in February. And if God calls you, you can join them. And then finally, next Sunday, all of our worship services here and in the Christian Life Center will be cut short by about 20 minutes. And then you have an opportunity to do one of two things. One, you can leave this campus and participate off campus in a ministry-serving opportunity as close as Brighton Gardens and some a little further across town. You'll see them in your bulletin. Or you can stay here where I'll stay, and then we are going in the Sanctuary and the Christian Life Center to be making food baskets for people in need. The need for food in San Antonio today is greater than at any time since I've been a pastor here. There's just a lot of weak people who are crying out. Those are opportunities for us to say yes. And when we say yes to service, we say yes to the community. And when we say yes to the community, we say yes to Jesus.